Today, on the state of Tel Aviv and beyond, we hone in on the reasonableness law, which passed first reading in the Israeli parliament, or Knesset, last week. This wildly controversial law has set off widespread, nonviolent protests and was the trigger for thousands of reserve soldiers and combat pilots and navigators to declare that they will no longer show up for military duty. For the IDF, this is a disaster, crippling its operational capability at a time when the security environment is as dire as it was just prior to the 1973 war. And yet, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu attacks the IDF reservists viciously and says he is determined to pass the law. The nation is stunned, and many say that Israel is on the cusp of self-destruction. Stay with us. This is the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond, the podcast that brings you the straight-up, unfiltered story. What's really going down in Israel? Politics, economics, religion and state, lots of conflict. I'm your host, Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel. We're on the street with the folks who live here and have skin in the game. Yalla, let's dive in. Last week, I spoke with Professor Yuval Shani, law professor at Hebrew University of Jerusalem and vice president of research at the Israel Democracy Institute. Shani also served recently for eight years as a member of the United Nations Human Rights Committee, which reviews human rights and rule of law issues throughout the world. State of Tel Aviv turned to Professor Shani to explain the legislation that has Israel in the midst of an extreme meltdown, and not just from the soaring temperatures. The coalition government, led by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, recently introduced a bill to amend the basic law on the judiciary in Israel, the closest thing Israel has to a constitutional statement or articulation of values and principles related to the judiciary. Referred to as the Reasonableness Bill, it passed first reading last week and is expected to receive second and third readings on Monday or Tuesday, then becoming law. First reading triggered unprecedented civil disobedience throughout the country. The protest movement that has been demonstrating against the so-called judicial reform, which many considered to be a camouflaged anti-democratic coup, went into high gear. The frequency, intensity, and fury of the protests escalated dramatically, as did the police response. The government encouraged police to engage in more assertive responses to the demonstrators, which resulted in police violence and a surge in arrests. The army is now at a tipping point, also known as a full-blown crisis, in which too many reservists refuse to risk their lives to serve what they call a dictatorship. They will not report for duty. And Prime Minister Netanyahu, he will forge ahead. The only rationale for doing so is obstreperousness. But more on that discussion with Professor Shani. Four days ago, about 100 protesters set out on foot from Tel Aviv. They planned a four-day march to Jerusalem in the steps of the prophets and the modern warriors who fought in the 1948 War of Independence. The price paid was enormous. And the metaphorical power of this march is not lost on anyone. Over the last several days, that group swelled to tens of thousands, a moving ribbon of Israeli flags. It was an upbeat, motivated human mass fighting with every shred of energy and power they could muster. They slept in tents by the road, 
and marched during mornings and evenings in order to avoid the hot midday sun and temperatures. Drone shots and videos are ubiquitous. This quick kit is intended to provide you with a clear understanding as to why so many Israelis feel that this is their last chance to speak out before the rules of the game, so to speak, are forever altered and the country begins its metamorphosis into a governing regime that may be many things, but will not be a liberal democracy. Professor Yuval Shani, speaking to us from London, England, the day after the day of disruption in Israel. Welcome to the state of Tel Aviv. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Earlier this week on Sunday, the Knesset brought forward for first reading, and it passed first reading, a bill that would no longer allow the Israeli Supreme Court to decide cases on the basis of reasonableness. Is that correct? Yes, to the extent that the, the decision had been taken by an elected official, the court would be barred from applying the reasonableness doctrine to evaluate the decision. And what is the reasonableness doctrine? So the reasonableness doctrine is a doctrine that has developed in, in England under common law, and, and it's an administrative law doctrine, which was subsequently also embraced by Israeli courts that were following common law after 1948. And it is still the law of the land in Israel. Uh, as it is in some other common law countries. Under the doctrine of reasonableness, a decision maker, which is part of the executive branch, may only take decisions that are reasonable, namely that the process by which the decision had been taken or the actual outcome of the decision is a decision that a reasonable decision maker is entitled to take or formulated differently. The court is in a position to intervene in, a, in decisions which no reasonable decision maker would take, either in terms of the process leading up to the decision or in the outcome of the decision. And that has been over the years an important tool through which the citizenry could actually challenge governmental decisions pertaining either to their interests or to the public interests. And the court has applied this in areas such as appointments, the elaboration of policy, but also specific decisions as to whether to grant a license or not to grant a license to this or that individual or company. And the doctrine of reasonableness really kind of became a flashpoint over the last year because of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's intention to appoint Aryeh Derry, the leader of the Shas party, to two significant cabinet portfolios, both the interior and health. That intended appointment or those intended appointments were considered to really fall outside of the doctrine of reasonableness or to offend the doctrine of reasonableness. Briefly, in the late 1990s, then Minister of the Interior Aryeh Derry, the leader of the ultra Orthodox Shah's party, which represents many Jews with origins in Middle Eastern countries was convicted of multiple criminal offenses and served two years in prison. Following a period during which he was forbidden to engage in politics, officially, that is, Derry was soon back in the mix. He was also, soon again, the subject of criminal charges. In February 2022, Derry pleaded guilty to charges of tax evasion, again committed while he was serving as Minister of Interior. In return for promising the court that he would not return to public life, 
political life, the court showed leniency and meted a suspended sentence. Oops. Turns out Derry didn't really mean that he'd never return to politics. And following the elections of the fall of 2022, he emerged as a power broker. Netanyahu promised the serial criminal two senior portfolios, interior and health. Furthermore, he pledged to move him to the Ministry of Finance in two years. A man convicted of tax evasion would be the gatekeeper of the Israeli tax system and finances. Upon hearing a petition regarding the wholly unethical nature of this appointment, the Supreme Court of Israel agreed in March 2023, holding that for Aryeh Derry to assume such positions of the highest public trust was extremely unreasonable, that a man of such low morals and character should be elevated to the highest positions of public trust was just too much. And so today, this government's priority is to strip the Supreme Court of Israel of the jurisdiction to opine on any appointment made by the executive branch of government on the basis of reasonableness. Prime Minister Netanyahu and his supporters take the position that the court is dictatorial, supplanting the will of the majority. What they seem not to understand is that a negotiated majority in the legislature, which then presumes to make distinctly unethical commitments, is not a feature of democracy. And Israelis are furious. Professor Shani explains the reaction of Israel's Supreme Court to the Derry case. To appoint that person to a senior ministerial position, including under the coalition agreement to, to the position of a finance minister in two years, who is responsible for tax collection when he has been convicted for tax fraud, this is, my, this is extremely unreasonable. I should say that some of the judges on the court, who perhaps the more conservative judges on the court, were not so keen to rely exclusively on the reasonableness doctrine, which is indeed some of the judges on the court are, are nervous about applying this doctrine because it is seen somewhat subjective. They, they put a lot of emphasis on the fact that Derry, when he was actually appearing before the judge who was about to sentence him following his conviction, he actually undertook to retire uh, at least made a representation by which he undertook to retire from politics. And that was apparently a consideration in the light sentence that he received. And then a day later, he reneged from that promise and said that he is returning now to politics. And for these judges, that meant that he was legally stopped from, from taking a position which he committed not to take during the sentencing phase of his trial. And the coalition government, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, takes the position that for the court to step in and, in effect, substitute its own reasoning for that of the elected officials, they say that they're kind of usurping democracy, that they're, the di they're acting dictatorially, that they don't really have the authority or legitimacy to do that. Yeah, I think the discussion around around reasonableness is really about second guessing whether it's appropriate, whether it's democratically legitimate for, for judges to second guess the executive. The counter argument, of course, is the executive is in a way occupying a position of trust vis-a-vis -vis the public because right. it, is, it is exercising an administrative power that was granted by the legislature in order to fulfill certain 
purposes, and it is in a rule of law context, it is for the judiciary to verify that the public trust is not being undermined by abuse of power by the executive. These are really the two philosophies that clash. I think it's fair to say that even within the Israeli Supreme Court and even within Israeli academia, there is disagreement as to where exactly should the equilibrium be placed in respect to to judicial intervention in governmental decision. But few, if any, academics or judges would subscribe to the radical version that is now being pushed forward. And that is that there is zero review under reasonableness of any decision by any elected officials. Some of the versions that we have heard being suggested is that when the government in plenary is taking a policy decision, maybe this is not a place for the court to intervene. And I should say this, it's very rare for the court to intervene in such a case to begin with. But with regard to more individualized decisions or appointments, there are very few serious voices within the Israeli legal system that would support eliminating reasonableness altogether because that would create a black hole of exercise of considerable authority with effectively no external supervision. State of Tel Aviv is supported by listeners and readers like you. We are an independent media organization And in order for us to create this content, we need your support. Please visit our website at stateoftelaviv, all one word, dot com. That's stateoftelaviv, dot com, and consider becoming a paid subscriber. You will also find some fabulous print articles providing superb background analysis and opinion on what's going down. Each supporter makes a huge difference. Thanks for being here. And now, back to the episode. I think it's important just to point out for our listeners again that in Israel, not only is there no formal written constitution, but there's also no elected or unelected upper chamber, like a Senate, to review the decisions of government. So, you know, to your point regarding public trust, if if an unreasonable or an outrageous or egregious decision is made by elected officials at the highest level, it doesn't go to the Senate, it doesn't go somewhere else, and the Supreme Court is our last chance. Correct. Exactly. And there are also, I mean, in terms of accountability, I mean, elected officials are not actually accountable to a specific constituency. So they are elected on a national party platform. So the individual minister actually could be someone who didn't really, he could be appointed even if he didn't stand for election to be a government minister. And government ministers are sometimes members of coalition parties that represent a relatively small segment of the Israeli population. And then they receive these vast legal authorities. So to to, to allow them to apply them without review is creating a, a significant accountability deficit, especially given the electoral system in Israel, which is, again, quite different from what you see in most places around the world. So What's that going to do to the independence of the judiciary? Will it have any impact on the actual impact on the independence of the judiciary? And then there's always the perception internationally. Yes. So uh, allegedly, this in and of itself is not going to impact the independence of the judiciary. But it is going to significantly weaken the the power of the judiciary to actually review government activity. And I think that 
one serious concern that critics of the legislation have is that through the now almost exclusive control that the government would have over the appointment process, key positions within the legal system, such as the attorney general, the state attorney, and other senior officials like legal advisors for the different ministries, who are very critical elements in actually applying the rule of law in Israel and are, have been traditionally independent office holders with respect to which the government has only limited influence over their election and in terms of service, their independence would be significantly undermined. And as a result, the entire legal system might find itself much less independent than it has been up until now. So it really is what I'm hearing from you, Professor Shani, is that It's the combination of the reasonableness doctrine legislation in conjunction with the politicization of judicial appointments as well as senior advisory ministerial appointments in the justice system, that the combination of those two things may well, in fact, erode the judicial independence in Israel. Is that yes. is that fair fair statement? Exactly. So the creation of areas of no go areas where you cannot effectively exercise review and the effect the ability to politicize significant parts of the legal system, the combination of the two, yes, would create uh, a significant decrease in the independence of the Israeli legal system as a whole of the whole machinery. Of course, if there would also be politicization of the judicial appointment process, as this government still intends to do, we are there. We are then in an even deeper hole in terms of our ability to maintain an independent judicial system or to project to the outer world that we have an independent judicial system. And why don't you explain why that's so critical, particularly in Israel, that well, perception? It is. I mean... It's important, first and foremost, for Israelis, of course, who want to live in a rule of law society and want their Absolutely. rights to be protected. But it's also important in the specific geopolitical context in which Israel finds itself, in which there are many efforts outside Israel to bring legal proceedings, including criminal legal proceedings against senior Israelis and senior military officials on the basis of the, um, of the ICC statute or criminal legislation, which applies extraterritorially in many countries. Israel has been so far quite effective in blocking these efforts, partly by flagging the independence of its own judiciary and invoking a doctrine which is called the complementary doctrine, which implies that foreign courts should not actually handle cases in different countries when that country is in a position to independently investigate and try these specific cases. And I think that the concern, especially, and we hear it quite significantly in the reservist protests, the concern is that once the legal system is breached and once its independence is no longer accepted, then Israeli soldiers, officers, politicians would be much more exposed to these sort of proceedings. And mind you, there, are, there is actually a pending case before the International Criminal Court against Israelis. And that, of course, could quite quickly deteriorate into indictments against senior Israeli officials. Tell me, if 
this legislation does pass third reading if it becomes law, the reasonableness legislation, and then the judicial appointment legislation. Can you suggest some countries that may be compared to Israel? Should Israel have that kind of system? Who would we, what would, like right now, the independence of our judiciary is so highly regarded and the quality of our judiciary. But if the independence is stripped away, we'd be like, which countries? Well, the immediate examples that pop into mind are Hungary and Poland, that are two Central European countries that have overgone also judicial reforms by which the executive was able to create majorities in parliament, to change the rules of the game, to change the constitution, in the case of Hungary, and to take over the judiciary by changing the ways in which judges are being appointed. And those systems of law are not considered to be fully independent, even not by the EU. And there have been effectively EU sanctions against these member states of the EU for basically failing to live up to, to European standards in this area. There are, of course, even worse examples down the road, such as Venezuela or Turkey, which we are still very far from, but the trajectory doesn't look very positive. And I have to finish on this note because as a former Canadian lawyer, practiced for 25 years, one of the things that just dazzles me is how Prime Minister Netanyahu and many others in the government like to say, oh no, what we're doing isn't extreme at all. It's exactly the same as Canada. What do you say to that? We've seen this since the, the, the talk in January about the reform started, where proponents of the reform were actually picking and choosing from different legal systems. And, and, and I think it is fair to say that this approach has been essentially focusing on identifying in each system the, the worst possible exemplar of that system and, and combining this into what is sometimes called a Frankenstein legal <laughs> system, where you really take piece and parts and pieces so judicial politicization of appointments we take from the US, from Canada, we take the override. And even if we don't even if we don't understand the Canadian override. From the UK, right. we take the no constitution or the inability yeah. of, of, of courts to strike down legislation. Of course, the big problem in this, when you do comparative law, I think it is critical to look at systems as a whole and not just take one element of a system. I'll also add to that, and this is often also overlooked in the discussion, you also have to look at the political and public life culture of the country. Absolutely. So it's one thing to actually, when you have a robust public opinion and media, which is quite strong in identifying. So when you have a system where, where, where ministers resign, like here in the UK, where you have a minister of justice recently resign, when you have such a culture, you don't need the kind of judicial involvement where you have in countries like Israel, unfortunately, which doesn't have this culture. So this is another element which must be introduced into the mix. Pastor Shani, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I have a feeling we may be speaking again in the coming months. With pleasure. As I finalize this podcast on Sunday afternoon, if anything, the situation has just intensified. Have a look at a piece where we posted earlier today on stateoftelaviv.com that provides a sketch of the high points in the last 24 hours. The reasonableness legislation is expected to pass second and third readings in the Knesset in the next few days, making it law. It's going to be a very, very hot few days in Israel. State of Tel Aviv is supported by listeners and readers like you. 
We are an independent media organization, and in order for us to create this content, we need your support. Please visit our website at stateoftelaviv.com. That's stateoftelaviv.com, and consider becoming a paid subscriber. You will also find some fabulous print articles providing superb background analysis and opinion on what's going down. Each supporter makes a huge difference. Thank you so much for your support.